When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A Bald Move Prestige. Yeah, Prestige movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, pretty, it's kind of science fiction-y, too, but not in that kind of way. It's uh, Brazil. 1985's Brazil. Man, missed the year by one. Uh, this is a dystopian, uh, light sci-fi, highly satirical film directed by one Terry Gilliam who is a member of the infamous Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. We have uh, covered his podcast on Adventures of Baron Munchausen. He's also done Time Bandits, Twelve Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I really like that last one. Uh, features a screenplay by Gillum himself, Tom Stoppard, who also wrote Shakespeare in Love, and Charles McCown, Ian, Keown, 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 who helped uh, Gillum re- uh, write the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. It stars Jonathan Price, the High Septon himself from Game of Thrones. Robert De Niro, we know Bobby De Niro. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Ian Holm, Bilbo Baggins. Mm-hmm. He's also the villainous cyborg from the first Alien movie. Bob Hoskins, who framed Roger Rabbit. The Adventures Mario. Of Mario. Wait, Mario, Mario Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Michael Palin, another longtime Monty Python star. Kim Greist. Who was in Chud, Manhunter, Throw Mama from the Train, kind of disappeared at some point after the 90s. And Peter Vaughn, who we last saw as Bald Move fans as Maester Eamon, blind Maester Eamon, yeah. uh, up at the wall. Jim, what's your, what's your relationship here with Brazil? And the, what'd you think of it 2022? I don't have a relationship with Brazil. Uh, I, I, this, is, this is the beginning of our relationship. Um, and I had always heard about this movie. People talk about this movie quite a bit. And I've seen several Terry Gill- Gilliam, Gilliam, whatever his name is, films. Um, my, my favorite probably being Fear and Loathing. My second favorite probably being Zero Theorem, uh, like which is Theorem. far more recent. Uh, it's, it's like in the 2010s, I think. Um, and so I kind of knew what I was getting into roughly going into this movie. Uh, He's a known quantity, and I found myself. I'll say first off to frame this whole conversation. My side of this conversation is I was not feeling like doing anything last night, but this was on the calendar, and I one hundred percent absolutely had to watch it, and so I did. Right, and great way to engage and engage with challenging, challenging material. Absolutely, Obligation. that's how you want to go into this movie if begrudgingly. Yeah, 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 uh, and and. <laughs> Sort of like, um, it, I I don't know. I I was not as impressed by this as I was by Baron Munchausen, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I found that to have a more singular message or singular focus, um, in its story. This felt kind of all over the place. Like there are fifty different things that Terry's trying to do in this movie, and he does them all to to greater or lesser degrees, but. For me, this whole melange did just just didn't come together to make anything like 
super satisfying in the way that like Baron Munchausen or Zero Theorem does, in my opinion. So I have a checkered history with this film. Back when I was 16 or 17, uh, I had a friend that I met in art school by the name of Jeff. And he was one of those like teenage film buffs, you know, like when we were all watching Ace Ventura and Dick and Fart Jokes, he was watching. And I, I, uh-huh. I always thought found these types interesting. So like I, I started, sure. struck up a conversation and and you know, I was still trying to figure out like, you know, what he likes and he doesn't like anything else. So, so what do you and he started mentioning stuff and like it was foreign films and shit and I'm and but the way he talked about it I thought it was interesting. So I said, like, what do you think I would like if I wanted to get into like a serious film? He's like, what do you like? And I'm like, well, I like, you know, I like Star Trek and Star Wars, and uh, I like, uh, but like, I think I mentioned I, I really like Monty Python, you know, Holy Grail okay. and all that. He's like, ah, got the perfect film for you. It's science fiction. Mm-hmm. It's zany. It's this. It's Brazil. And I watched, I rented that thing. I watched it, and I hated it. Huh. I and I think I think part of it is because just the year before I'd read 1984, and I've talked about how that like that really blew my mind and kind of shook my faith and like did shook up a whole bunch of things. And it was kind of like a, a holy text to me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this film was almost making fun of 1984 and missing the point of 1984. Mm-hmm. And it was okay. just wild. And then it was kind of like boring. And you, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it just, I was too young for it. I wasn't mature enough to appreciate it. And then I tried it again because like when I was going through, I think that AFI top 100 or one of these big lists, Brazil was on it. Um, or is on one of these lists. And I was like, you know what? I remember Jeff Freck, and this was like, I was in my early 20s. Well, I didn't even make it through 30 minutes. I shut it off. I'm like, <laughs> this when I think when Robert De Niro's the renegade air conditioner guy showed up, I'm like, this, this, this is so fucking stupid. Shut it off. Hmm. So I was kind of like dreading, you know, when this kind of came up, I was like, oh man, what if I hate it? We chose this. Why I, did we do this to ourselves? <laughs> no, we, we presented options. Uh-huh. We presented options. Yeah, cause we put this on the list. Like, I also like to go back with a few more years on mm-hmm. me and doing, you know, seeing a lot more stuff and read a lot more things. I really enjoyed my third trip, two and a half trip through Brazil. And okay. it surprised me a lot when I was engaged with the material. I think there is a lot of stuff that's frustrating. There's a lot of stuff here that doesn't work. But I thought the visuals were amazing, particularly some of those dream sequences, particularly the ones where he's like soaring through the air. Um, like uh, what what's that guy? Icarus. Like I a, thought that stuff da- David Bowie version of Icarus. Sure. David in, in Bowie armor. version yeah. of Icarus. Yeah, a little Ozymandias version. Mm-hmm. Uh and I thought I thought John also like now appreciating who these people are as actors. Like when I was a kid, I didn't know who the fuck Jonathan Price is. Well, Jonathan, you know, Jonathan Price wasn't Jonathan Price yet. Uh Bob Hoskins, Ian Holmes, some of these people. Um, it was really entertaining. Like, I've not seen Jonathan Price be a leading actor in anything he's always been a character actor a villain or you know a, a industrialist or something like that it's gonna say what about that uh james bond movie whichever one that That's was what I'm saying he's not yeah. a lead he's just the, no, the he's foil a and uh i thought he was really like i was surprised at his physical comedy chops especially like when he was interacting with like bob hoskins and robert de niro mm-hmm. in the early goings um and then I remember, like, going into the final act of this movie, I was like, I don't, this seems stupid. Like, this is where Terry, okay, this is why I hated this as a kid. Now I'm seeing, this is going down the tubes, this is stupid. And then the surprise kind of twist in at the end, 
where it kind of brought it back to the dystopia and the you know the the, the dark parts of the film. I so I was kind of delighted because I'd forgotten that little twist and uh, that kind of I instantly <laughs> forgave the parts of the film that I was starting to hate. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I it's be, it'll be interesting talking because I've you know there's stuff I want to talk about as far as like art in this movie and there's stuff I want to talk about as far as themes and then maybe even some practical stuff. Do you, uh, do, I guess we should, since I think there is going to be a lot of interest in this movie and there's probably a high percentage of people that haven't seen it. And the other thing is like, mm-hmm. this has got like a 97% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This is a fairly well revered movie, but it's also one of those weird ones. That's also a cult that at the time it was released, it wasn't, universally regarded roger ebert gave it two stars uh, so you're in good company okay. if you think this is meh to to bad um but i think it's an interesting film that everybody should probably take a chance on if you haven't seen it already the premise is this is this yeah this is 1984 mm-hmm. uh you've got a, this maybe a little bit more of a capitalist dystopia than uh, orwell's original vision uh well it's tons of bureaucracy that's tons the of thing this movie is a this movie is uniquely british in my opinion like th- there is a deep-seated fear of bureaucracy embedded in this film that it, authoritarian bureaucracy right that, that i don't think we get to like in america we have our own uh relationship with authoritarianism but like the the bureaucratic version i feel is very british what's interesting is like i to me, that's quintessentially 1984 too, because that it was like mm-hmm. UK, you know, uh, yeah. social, fa- social totalitarian fascism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, like it, I, I, it, it is a very British film, and uh, I was just trying to give the basics of the plot here. <laughs> what was I? Where was I at? Shit, I just got derailed. Uh, it's it's a guy named Sam Lowry who works as sort of like a, I don't know, middle mid-level uh functionary in one of the departments of this bureaucracy and yeah his mother is very high up in the bureaucracy or very well connected anyway um yeah and, one and the upper class yeah wants wants him to be promoted and he's kind of not interested in being promoted but then he stumbles upon uh in the course of his duties a woman who he thinks he's seen in his dreams and in order to uh, pursue her, he takes this promotion and ends up in information retrieval, one of the other departments, which is it, it kind of the most sinister of the departments, I would say. Um, yeah, and and things go from there. And he pursues her through the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say anything more because there's some twists and turns and spoilers. Um, we might be underselling how funny this film is. Did you th- yeah. find it funny? I did. Yeah. Um, and, and there... And it's not just like, oh, the the dialogue is funny or the jokes they're making is funny, but like everything, the the, the entirety of it is funny. Like the backgrounds are funny. The things that are happening in the side of the frame while you're watching Jonathan Price uh, talk to whoever uh, are also funny. It's it's got a lot going on at all times. One, I'm going to open up. Here's my salvo. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a Christmas film. It's not not a Christmas film. Um, there are Christmas carols in this movie, kind of. <laughs> I wish there were more. That's the that's uh-huh. the thing that 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 kind of robs it of Christmas points. Is there's is there's not a lot. There's Christmas decorations, Christmas trees, Christmas shopping, Christmas gifts, mm-hmm. um, snow on the ground, uh, Christmas deck. You know, like I said, lights and things up. But it is a little bit light on the Christmas music. But the whole thing takes place at Christmas. And I think that's, uh, I was going to icing on the cake, but this thing's over frosted. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is a Christmas movie. I, I, I wish I, 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 and, and I was delighted cause I'm like, man, at one point we're going to run out of like Chris fun Christmas movies to do for Christmas time. Or maybe we won't, I don't know. But like, I, I feel like I need to start a thread or something or a discord something for a, like a Christmas so we can compile stealth Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Because I keep stumbling upon them in the course of doing my, and I'm like, oh god, I wish we'd saved, you know, like who knew that Rambo: First Blood, kind of a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, ch- uh, catch me if you can, definitively a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie, so there's that. Probably go search. I don't know if you kept all your notes around, but you could probably go search for Christmas and just like pull up ten different movies that we've covered that are stealth Christmas movies. But you can't, you can't, you can't dust those off for a Christmas. You can't regift that. What is this? A, oh, uh, no. Like if a you just wanted candy? to catalog those is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, gotcha. to find them. I'm wanting to find new ones. I'm wanting to seek new forms of Christmas. Um, gotcha. What? So I, I know you didn't think much of this movie. What are some things that you've got for, like, praise? Uh, I think Robert De Niro is fantastic in this movie. Actually, all the actors are fantastic. But the one that tickled me most is Harry Tuttle. Um, the, the way that he comes in. Just... Robert De Niro is such a good actor. There, there's something so natural about the the way that he's interacting with both the the heating, the ductwork uh, in Sam's apartment, and Sam at the same time, and asking him to help him out with like holding flashlights and just it, the way he delivers the dialogue in just this smooth patter is is so good. And then every time Harry exits a scene, I just I got a huge kick out of it. Because what he does is he he apparently fires off uh, like a Batman type grappling hook and just zip lines away and he zip lines away so fast it's like a straight down uh-huh. plummet and then he just goes around a corner and he's gone. I fucking love the idea of and I don't know I hated this I this is one of the things the conceits that I hated in the movie so much but there's something really funny about a rebel heating and air conditioning man yeah that's like intercepting faulty shoddy work from the government and like busting in through your door and and also yeah this is like prime this is like de niro in his prime he's giving Uh multiple shits 
and he wanted on this movie desperately. Uh, he wanted hmm. to be, uh, 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 God damn it, uh, the other uh, Michael Palin. He wanted Michael Palin's role, uh, the torturer, Jack. Yeah, uh, and they're like, Nah, we'll give you, we'll give you this guy. There's something that you you, you kind of touched on it. The way he deals with his crazy intestinal duck work, mm-hmm. like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, like with the practiced ease of uh. You can tell like a year one mechanic versus like a 20 year mechanic just by the way they kind of go about and use it. And he's just nailing this nonsense technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is just a really cool idea. Like I said, a gorilla underground fighting against bureaucracy and just wanting people's houses to be cool. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. And he's kind of the, the, what is he supposed to be? Is he supposed to be a communist? Is he supposed to be like in the, the, symbology of this movie like he he several times says we're all in this together um and i couldn't tell if he's like what the movie was trying to say with him really i think he'd be like well that's the thing is like politically i think this film is muddied in like what it's actually trying to critique and how much the things are trying to critique and i think some of the things it's critiquing are are like diametrically opposed but i think he's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like the resistance like if there is uh yeah, a Stasi, an, Air, an HVAC Stasi or Gestapo, mm-hmm. he is the beret wearing resistance. Sure. You know? Okay. Uh, so not putting I, the, the, really the specific good. label on it, just general concepts of a freedom fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like the fact, man, like that whole, that, that whole part of the, the movie where guy wakes up and he's sweating and he's his duck's not working he puts in a call to central service and it gets disconnected it's terrible and then it gets rerouted and robert de niro comes up and then bob hoskins and some goofball are there uh-huh. and like and it's like it's funny how dystopian it feels right away where it's like doing something like uh like we're here to fix your furnace like oh it actually fixed itself machines don't fix itself you must have been illegally repairing going to force our way in and probably take you to the gulag over it and jonathan uh, price beats him back with uh, a bureaucratic form have you got i man that that's really funny and i think bob hoskins uh does a really good job of playing that kind of broad bob hoskiny role uh very funny the way he's maniacal i think okay that's what i love about this film is in like star wars all the villains speak in a british accent mm-hmm. um down from Grand Moff Tarkin to the lowest stormtrooper, right? I like the idea that, like, here the party bureaucrats speak in that kind of like British kind of posh voice, but the stormtroopers are like street level, like, oi! Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like Coxney types. Uh-huh. There's something like, because in, re- in Star Wars universe, the stormtroopers would be like the blue collar. You know, they're not the upper class from society. Maybe their right. commanders are. And mm-hmm. I just like that's like I didn't know that something I was missing in Star Wars until I actually saw it here in Brazil. That there's a class distinction between the people on top and the people that what are in the middle. You know, they're the, yeah. the point of the stick. Yeah. And, you know, to keep talking about like the duct, the, the, the heating guys. Um, what's up with all the ducts? there's a deep-seated fear of bureaucracy in this movie, but also a deep-seated fear of ducting, as best I can tell. Uh, what is, what's the deal with the ducks? I feel like a lot of this aesthetic of this movie is like Soviet retro-futurism. Okay, yeah, I can see that. You know, like uh, a society that has agreed that corners have to be cut, mm-hmm. and 
we need to like autom automate and in innovate on things and it ends up just being a mess of just compromises and bypasses and this we can get another 10 years out of this heater if we just run an umbilical from here to there to to the extent that like yeah, like every square, like I, I thought that's entertaining. Like every wall in his apartment was an access panel to something. Yeah. And when the guys, the general services guys came in to repossess his apartment for the extensive repairs it need, like literally all of them are open and just, just like shit hanging everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I, I, I think that's what they're going for. Okay. Cause it, the movie starts off with a very conspicuous commercial for ductwork uh, and improved ductwork. And I was, wondering what it was and even even to the point where like in the fancy parts of town uh, when he's yeah. like having brunch with his mother and her friends or whatever there are huge ducks running to a fountain in the middle of the the dining the, area the electricity like i, I wonder because mm -hmm. like i keep on saying the word intestinal <laughs> i wonder if there he's like trying to say something about the society being full of shit or running on shit oh because the fantastic scene maybe the best scene in the movie in my opinion is when robert de niro shows up after they have you know busted oh all the God. ducting in his house and it's freezing robert de niro yeah. shows up and he <laughs> goes outside and reroutes the air that they're getting the the, the heating system that's keeping their enviro suits uh warm and the mm -hmm. sewage pipe and inverts those and then just fills their suits with sewage. Which <laughs> is the, disgusting. The visual of that, man. As Jonathan's yeah, Price is watching going, oh, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah, because what was it? Was it Moonraker? I can't remember which Bond movie we watched in the marathon where they're wearing those, you know, uh, those those Tyvek suits that Walt and Jesse go around in. Uh -huh. and they had the transparent version of it, and that's yep. what they were. So you can see it start at their ankles and just full <laughs> of, just fill of shit. Oh, God. It I was, was yeah. horrible and wonderful. I keep watching these movies in the morning while I'm eating breakfast or right after eating breakfast, and uh, some of that stuff's not sitting right with me. <laughs> uh, while we're still talking in this kind of scene with the De Niro interactions, I just want to, again, like, Jonathan Price has got this really interesting comic timing where, like, when De Niro busts in, he puts a gun on him. You can tell, like, Price is terrified, but also, like, eager to know. So every single time, like, De Niro turns his back to, like, look, check a six, like, uh, Price, like, leans forward a little bit, like he's trying to crane his neck to mm -hmm. see what he's looking at. And then when De Niro, he's, he gets back real quick. They're, they do that all throughout that, and it's just such a funny uh, timing thing with him. Yeah, uh, I thought it was hilarious. I don't know how many takes they took to get all that. It's like a ballet they're doing in that apartment. But I really appreciated uh, that that defined physical comedy that the high septum is putting on here. And, and I actually recognize that from a lot of. It, it might just be Gilliam stuff, right? Or it might be the Monty Python like vibe that I get, where everything is very orchestrated. It's it, when you see a scene, it's it's going to just kind of rattle off everything super fast and yeah that's the flow right it's just like it, it, there are things moving everywhere there there are like people speaking uh dialogue that they don't have to think about they just kind of recite they just kind of put it out there and but, but they're also doing it in a way that feels natural so so it just flows i i don't know how to describe it other than it's very fast it's very smooth and the the jokes and and the the meaning is coming at you a mile a minute, and you're just kind of expected to keep up. But every once in a while, you, we mentioned how great the actors are, 
And mm-hmm. every once in a while, though, like I was stunned by, for example, that scene where Jonathan Price goes to deliver. There's this lady. God, th- th- there's a mistake that's made, and the lady's husbands get killed by mistake. And the party that never makes mistakes now has to issue a refund check for their services to a dead person. Mm-hmm. And he tracks down his widow and tries to give it to, and he's explaining the situation as kind of bureaucratic, kind of like embarrassed, but not wanting to take responsibility for it, making sure, wanting to make sure all of the receipts are given and the paperwork, but also feels bad for what he's doing. And this woman in front of the camera, and this is like a long scene, John Price is yibbering, yibbering, and you can see second by second her lose, starting to kind of lose her shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actress is like acting her ass off. In this ridiculous movie to sell this like violent outburst that then happens when she boils over and she can't take it no more. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of points like that where it's like you've got these bravo, uh, these these bravo acting performances in the middle of just the craziest shit you've ever seen. Yeah, like like Jonathan Price in that scene is in a comedy and she is in a drama. <laughs> it's right, yeah, Which makes like the half comedy the frame. funnier, right, right, and more uncomfortable uh, uh-huh. and a better s- satire. And makes the drama almost sadder in a way, too, because the, the people on the other side of it are just buffoons. Uh, speaking of that that scene where he goes back there, he runs into a guy, literally runs into a guy on the stairs um, who's just kind of hanging around. He, he looks like he's a, a PI or something, and he's hanging around, kind of peering around corners, smoking. That guy comes up twice, and he's never seen again Probably. in this movie. Who the Holy hell? Shit, you're right. What is that? I would, I would, I almost feel like I'd have to watch the movie again to figure it out because I was wondering where that was going. And yeah. until you brought it up, I'd forgot that it even, because he just, the movie forgets him. Yeah. I, I presume he's one of the other characters that's kind of been like, it, it might even be, who's the guy that's torturing him? The Michael Palin role? Jack. Jack. Yeah. Could it be him that he was like doing surveillance on his friend to kind of, mm. Maybe because I feel like he played himself as suspicious of his friend before he gave him any reason to be. Uh, And I'm also also always trying to like view this through the lens of 1984 and the characters, the way they interact with that, Mm -hmm. that uh, what is it? Winston has to, you know, make all these decisions about like, do I trust? There's a high ranking party official that I think is on my side. How can I know for sure? Mm -hmm. Because if I hint that I'm on the resistance and he finds out I'm a dead man. Uh, and there was a little bit of hinting of that, like them dueling each other. Like, are you, uh, you know, like I, I thought that conversation where they had where, you know, he's like, God, ah, this thing happened, this thing happened. And you're under a lot of suspicion. And he's like, we've always been friends, haven't we? And he's like, yeah, we've always been buddies. He's like, that's what I thought. Keep my distance until, or keep your distance from me until this all blows over. Right. There's a lot of that. Right. And then that final torture scene where, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Palin's like, God damn, why are you making me do this? Look at what you've done, and now I've got to do this, and you're making me feel like an asshole because I'm going to have to torture you to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that this, this uh, Kafka-esque dystopian stuff I thought was really yeah. good and, and, and well done. It reminds me but of I think um, that's... Valkyrie as well, you know, where like you're, you're trying to build a resistance against the Nazis. You're a high-up official in their government, and you're looking for sympathizers. Or Well, not in that... In that uh term that's that's probably not the best term to use but you know what i mean people of like mind H- how how do you find them how how do you acknowledge that it seems like that's a tension because like it's it's interesting to bring up valkyrie because it makes a lot of sense the 
in an effort to be resistant to these internal and external threats, inevitably these societies are super brittle. Yeah. Like, you can be doing some shady shit, and all you got to do is puff out your chest and be like, you got form 27B-6. Mm-hmm. And the other person's now sudden because, like, they know the consequences for not being, and you can kind of back them the fuck up off of things and make them an unquestioning obedience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you just waltz into a room and demand things, uh, access based on your position. Um, yeah, they play a lot with that in this film. They do. Uh, the, the brittleness of an authoritarian regime. Uh, yeah, you, you, you can fuck up and make a lot of mistakes, but the, that you're watching so many people that in the effect that you're ended up watching no one, you know, <laughs> uh, sure. Like if everyone's yeah. under surveillance and, ev- and, and you're paying like a, a thousand people to keep an eye on 900, then, mm-hmm. you know, who watches what I, I thought there was some interesting <laughs> stuff in, in, in the film about that. Yeah. That, there is just a ton going on here. Um, one of the other things that I think this movie has a paranoia of is technology and, and specifically like surveillance technology. There's a lot of like robots. When you go to to one of these departments, there, there are a lot of robots that are up in your business, right? They, they all but have microphones and cameras inside your body. Um, mm-hmm. They'll come up to you and like she's she's trying to like talk to somebody at one of these departments at a desk and there's this robot just like bumping into her and like got this camera literally inches from her face um and, and then there's the samurai which i think is like in his dreams representative of this right because the samurai has armor that's made up of like circuit boards and, and microchips, microchips yeah. and stuff like that i i wasn't quite picking up exactly what they were putting down there but it's definitely like surveillance tech which is another you know hugely British 1984 kind of thing. Um, I don't know. What would you make of the, the samurai and all that technology stuff? I think you're right on. It's uh, I was reading up on Gilliam and it seems like that's kind of almost like J.R.R. Tolkien and how he feels about modern society and its intrusion to every aspect, aspect of our life. Gotcha. And our resulting loss of like, you know, uh, individual freedoms and whatnot. Yeah, and, and I feel that uh, in Munchausen too, right? Like that there's there's some of that sure. in there. Zero theorem, it's all over the place. Uh and, and this right. movie kind of ends pseudo ends, let's say, with like him and Jill, like Sam and Jill just kind of living in the country with a couple animals and a nice little cottage. Escaping from this smog ridden right, you know, hellhole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's a bit, I don't know if a, a Luddite for a guy who uses as much technology as he does yeah. to make movies, but it, it, I feel like they're, you know, I mean, that's, every, everybody feels like the way they they draw a line in, in the sand for how they want to protect their consciousness from modern society, and maybe he does it further than I, but yeah, I mean, that's interesting, because it's like this movie's made in 1985, it's based on a bunch of fears that was from the like 50s and 60s of Orwell, mm-hmm. and in 2022, I've said this a bunch of times, and I don't think you, I still don't think you agree with me, that like, I feel the public has largely lost the battle over privacy, and yeah. at this point, it would need like combined worldwide global political action to okay. essentially make that kind of outlaw, the monitoring illegal. I, I think I do agree with that sentiment. I, I guess like the sentiment I don't agree with is that we can't turn that tide, um, that it's mm. impossible. And the genie's out of the bottle. You might as well give up. Because, um, yes, I believe we have largely lost any kind of privacy war. Oh, I don't, I'm not saying that like we shouldn't uh, stop. Five. It's more of like we would need uh, at this point, we would need some kind of like government 
like like it's kind of like what Europe is messing around with, which I think is interesting. Uh-huh. The right to be forgotten, the right to opt out of data collection, restrictions on that. The like that's the kind of I, I think individual action, like you know, doing super heavy encryption on your emails and stuff like that, is well, I mean. Yeah, if it's, you got a systemic problem, there's not usually an individual solution to it. Right. Uh, right. Oh, that's another thing I thought was, because there's a lot of things this movie does that I'm not even sure if it's on, on tension or if it's on purpose or if it's unintentional, if it's just part of the fact that he's throwing so much stuff on the camera and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. But he does, I think, really illustrate why there aren't any individual solutions to systemic problems. Because, like, the guy, you know, the, guy, the guy's got a heating problem. The central services is fucked. It's, it's bureaucratic. It's bureaucratic. It's inefficient. Uh, he is going to fry in that apartment. What does he do? He goes and sticks his head in the freezer and falls asleep there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that systemic problem of having shitty central services is now going to it's going to destroy his heater, and probably in a day or two, it's going to destroy his freezer. And then what is he going to do? Yeah. Uh, it's like the 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 idea that you don't take care of those systemic problems becomes like a, a sorcerer's apprentice type of situation that gets yeah. away from you um i don't know like a lot of the there's a lot of emergent critiques of society that just comes out of the i guess realistic yeah. depiction over a fear like yeah. like what if what if the dmv or the bmv depending on how your state calls it uh what if what if the 1980s version of that took over every facet of your society you know mm-hmm. long line standing line officious assholes things like that yeah, no, I, I agree. There are some really interesting ideas and some interesting uh, representations of those ideas in this movie, and it's all very funny. It's all very um, interesting, but I feel like there's a lack of... of uh, there's no clarity of focus here on any one thing that I could put my finger on and say, this is what Terry Gilliam believes about this or that. Um, if I yeah. didn't know like some of his other movies, right? Because... I do yeah. at this point, and I get a feel for what the man thinks about society um, and life and, he, and life well lived. So, but yeah, let's because uh, I want to talk about um, the 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 way he's doing class divides in this movie. Because you definitely have poor working class folk, mm-hmm. the proles. You got the the bourgeois uh, in some kind of quasi socialist system where everyone's kind of like ostensibly suffering. But when we see the rich people, they're not. They're not living a good life. They're getting killed by terrible botched plastic surgeries. They're eating food that's all the same green slop that they're just, I think, using their imaginations to imagine what it might like. There's just mm-hmm. uh, I th- I felt like that was a weird take on like, uh, you know, in these societies, the wealthy don't have it I- any better because that's a counterfactual from these authoritarian societies. Usually yeah. the people on the top have it real fucking good. Yeah, it's you hard know? to say when you have a $500 million yacht that you have any problems. <laughs> real right. problems. Significant problems right. in your life. Yeah, like this green paste stuff. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, and that's it's like, I, I thought that, and I, when I, that, that I saw that happen. Because at first I was like, these people in these nice restaurants and stuff like that. And like, I've, I've um, you know, like in the old Soviet Union, they'd have, they still have nice restaurants, right? It's just that the average person couldn't afford to go there maybe once every five years, or maybe you needed a, some kind of reservation system that you had to earn Soviet party points to earn yourself in there. And, and on, on paper, it seems like it's fair, right? Because like, even if you're the premier of the Soviet Union, or if you're the lowest guy shoveling snow or, or coal, 
you should only you should have a roughly equal a uh, uh, a chance in your life to to have veal, you know, or take a vacation. Mm-hmm. But in practice, the people high up in the parties are eating at that restaurant every fucking day. Yeah, and they're going through their dacas in the woods every fucking weekend, and they're spending six weeks at the, you know, whatever the warm water port in Russia is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that's what they're going, but then the green paste came out. I'm like, well, what the fuck? Everyone's eating soylent green, like. It seems like ah. he's trying to say something about like, oh, they're image obsessed, um, because everything in their world is is a, a fantasy. And yeah, you're right that that ultimately that that route travels back to a tree that says their life isn't any better, which is yes, a very strange message. But like th- them trying to preserve their youthful looks through extreme surgeries. Uh, is very image based their food being slop in actuality but them imagining it as something more it's very image based um i don't know i don't know man i I do like those scenes though i I really enjoy the face stretching scenes i really thought it was hilarious when this woman shows up progressively more uh complicated every time uh yeah her, her complications eventually put her in a coffin which then Boy, when Jonathan Price goes to her funeral, the the her remains are pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it's like what's the opposite of like uh, that? Uh, I think you should leave. You got body after body busting out of shit wood. You got uh-huh. <laughs> shit body busting <laughs> or blowing. Out. Yeah, it's like this gelat. Yeah, because it's he it was she was taking an acid treatment. Is what they kept on. Like, oh, you know, they? okay. Because his it- her. One was going under the knife and the other was being injected with acid and both doctors were making fun of each other's, you know, approaches. Mm-hmm. But it seems like I would go with the knife guy. I wouldn't Apparently, do the acid guy. Yeah, I mean the acid guy's patient ended up dead, so Yeah. Like Progressively worse two, until they died. Episode two, season one, breaking bad kind of uh-huh. shit happening. And I love it too because it's like bones and I think it's like a bunch of breast implants. There's there's just like think, yeah, weird think. shit that falls out of this right like all the all the accoutrement of staying young forever or young looking mm-hmm. forever yeah and they set all that up when they when he when he meets his mom at the plastic uh-huh. surgeon's office and he's doing plus oh man this movie anyway let me finish my thought before i do this <laughs> okay. crazy shit with my brain mm-hmm. uh where you know like jonathan price is going and like feeling all the fake boobs and the mm-hmm. plastic boobs like they 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 had all the they had all the silicone sitting around set so yeah why not throw it in the coffin why not it's all that's left of her um the uh what was the so I was, I was talking about oh this movie say what you will about it whether you're a two-star uh roger ebert jim jones kind of review or you're more superlative like the normal this thing is highly influential because like i saw like this is straight out of Star Trek Insurrection, the plastic surgery oh, stuff. Oh, 100%. I was thinking exactly that scene. This technological look has been aped by so many films. I think The Matrix, uh, this this kind of retro steampunk kind of cobbled together yeah. technology, I kept on thinking with the multiple monitors and the minimalist design and everything being kind of like copper, plain old telephone system-based stuff. Um, I, I kept on seeing like m- so many echoes of this film in others and there's so many directors that say that they uh were influenced it's like it's all over the place like stuff as good as the Mm -hmm. matrix and stuff as bad as star trek uh insurrection i mean it's imaginative uh, certainly that's like the number one word i would use to describe it 
Yeah. Like, I especially like their telephones. The I think their, their telephones are kind of amazing where it's like a mini switchboard on your telephone. So you get a call and you have to plug your wire. There's like eight wires coming off this phone. You got to plug one of the wires into the correct port and answer that call. Which is such a weird, that's, that's where I'm, that's such a weird affectation for this technology. Because like yeah. in this society, it seems like everything's highly centralized. Mm-hmm. Except for the telephone switching system, which is decentralized in <laughs> right. everyone's home. Which, but maybe that's the kind of like, uh, he's trying to, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I don't know this guy's politics. Maybe he's trying to take a shot at the, 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 social, the, the science over in the, so, uh, the socialist lands that they mm-hmm. have all this maladaptive shit that doesn't work right and blah, blah, blah. Um, I could see that. It's probably a fair criticism. Um, I want to talk about some of the world building because, like, th- th- I did feel like it was a lot over all over the place. Like, for example, why is this world obsessed with litter? Okay, to the point that they're duct taping dog buttholes shut, mm-hmm. and you know, old uh, like they like have all these like what 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 about the society causes that? I don't know because society... isn't that what like takes Harry Tuttle at the end? Like. Harry Tuttle disappears in a pile of litter, essentially. Like, it all sticks to him, and then he's gone. And I don't know if they're trying to say, like... Well, that was the fantasy sequence, though. I mean, it might not be important to your part, but, like, that didn't literally yeah. happen, right? I, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to say. But, yeah, yeah. Harry Harry Tuttle disappears under a pile of litter. Yeah. <laughs> like Batman. Uh, I thought it was interesting, the inversion of... Like, I was right now when I... I frequently remarked as I'm driving across America is like Jesus Christ these billboards. I was just out in like Colorado and I got these it's like I'm I'm looking at these beautiful mountains and there's a fucking billboard in front of me. This this is like the inverse where you have a seamlessly interlocking row of billboards along the sides of every highway mm-hmm. that is beautiful to keep you from seeing the blasted hellscape of pollution. Like instead of like the man-made stuff interfering the natural beauty. You got the artificial beauty that uh, masks the hideous uh, shit that's gone on to nature. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It is. It, it also keeps you on rails pretty literally too, right? Like you can't turn left or right here or there. You have to just kind of follow the path that the society has constructed for you. Yeah, it's very analogous to like blinders on horses. You can only go yep. uh, straight ahead. You can't uh, consider any other paths. Yeah. There's probably three or four other embedded meanings of that, too. <laughs> probably. But I also thought it was interesting because, again, I think this is broadly a critique of um, more socialist communist societies. But, the you know, the Christmas season, they got these Consumer for Christ uh-huh. marches. And they're and worried like, about their the f- credit ratings. Like, you get tortured, and if you don't submit to the torture, it might ruin your credit rating. Which I you're... didn't know if that was a joke, like, that... Because I think these interrog- I don't think people commonly know these interrogations lead to people's deaths, mm-hmm. and there's supposed to be all these controls put in place to avoid that. But I thought that was kind of a wink, wink type of situation. So it could be that like that's what the guards are saying is like they think that's the fate, you know, that's the worst fate, or maybe that's a f- <laughs> face work a fate worse than death because right. if you die, but if you die and leave debt, then you know you're. I don't know. Uh, yeah, th- there is a capitalist like, critique stuff- in here too. Yeah, it's. Strange. But it's hard for a movie to capitalize every political system known to man simultaneously. Right. And that's why I say like, like X... there's a lack of focus here that confuses me 
It doesn't doesn't disappoint me. I'm not like, oh, this is a bad movie because of it. I'm just, I'm not picking up what I think the movie is trying to put down because there's so much. There's so much it's critiquing. And I think I when I'm when I as I'm talking this through, I think it it reminds me of how I felt about this as a kid. Is that like I felt it, fe- it feels insulting because um, you know 1904 is many things. It's you know you could see you could say it's a romance at its core. Sure. Um, but mostly it's you know something that's supposed to be instructive or supposed to make you think about something. And I felt like so much of this movie was you know, kind of like divided against itself or carefully constructed to like, not like did not make a definitive point about anything, which seemed to like mm-hmm. elevate the relational ship stuff. And that was like what the movie was mainly concerned about. Um, but then the bleak yeah. ending kind of like wipes all that away. Right. So ah, I can see why a lot of people see this as a frustrating film. And I used to think that, um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why. And now that what I'm talking through, I'm not sure why I enjoyed it so much, except for, it's extremely slick. Uh, it's extremely good looking. It's extremely funny. And I was thinking about a lot of shit as I was watching it. I just don't know mm-hmm. what Terry Gillum wanted me to think. And, yeah, yeah. you know, how much of his intentional. This movie's almost 40 years old. Time's marched on. Things are a lot different now. Like, I would love mm-hmm. to know what Roger Ebert would think about watching this in 2022, you know? But, yeah, I think some issues have become more pressing. Some. Eh, I'm struggling to to look at something that he had to say here and say that's less pressing or, yeah. or less of a concern nowadays. Um, it's pretty much all still a concern. Um, it's moved on and gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, along the world building stuff, I, there's also you know a, a lot of humor in this movie. It's it's very funny, and one of the things that stands out to me as very like Monty Python esque is when he when when Sam gets to the information retrieval department and he's shown his office, he's like looking around, suddenly his desk starts moving. And, and over the course of like a 30 second scene here, you realize, Oh, there's someone on the other side of this wall pulling on this desk. They share a desk and he gets as much as he can take from the other person, right? (laughs) As much as he's willing to fight for here of this desktop. And I thought it was hilarious. And this divider that goes between them is like down the middle of a filing cabinet, a poster, a window, the desk. I just found that both hilarious and and saying something about like lack of cooperation, even within these systems. Well, or the fact that systems set up to where instead of rightly critiquing, we don't have enough resources, comrade. They're that pitted too. against each other. Yeah. But yeah. I, I noticed that the design of the desk has a drawer in the middle to where you can't. <laughs> Like can't open it. So many of those things you mentioned are not functional. Yeah. Unless yeah. you have the whole thing or control of the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um but there again, it's another systemic critique that but it's it's funny. It's it in that five minute stretch is just a flying circus skit. Uh-huh. Him struggling and it's very with the funny. desk against the wall. And it's yeah. it's it, it's yeah, it's it's hilarious. I also liked <laughs> this is a kind of a random one, but uh Jack's niece that's going to work with him and apparently saw a whole torture Dude, the end of that scene where he's like you should if you want to be taken serious on this mission you should wear a better suit gives him a suit and then he just checks out and like the niece is left there alone with him and she leers this this is like a four or five year old girl uh-huh and she leers at him and says put it on big boy i won't work at look at your willy and, and that slayed me I'm sorry. And then that and then he comes out wearing the suit, which implies that he does change in front of this yeah, little girl. She does get a glimpse of his willy. Uh, maybe. It, or maybe she was <laughs> maybe she was uh, not having any interest in it, you know? 
Probably. I yeah, there are two subversive jokes like that um, in this movie, or ones that I still consider subversive today. Uh, mm-hmm. It's that one, and it's the one where like he's just entered into the system that Jill is dead, and he comes back to his mother's uh, flat where he left her, and she's on the bed, and she asked him, he tells her, like, you're dead now, and she says, care for a little necrophilia, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, the joke in context is not is not too, you know, horrible, but oh boy, that's dark, that's dark. Okay, so like, I want to talk about the central services thing, because this is, um, you know, I used to be real conservative, and about 10 years ago, well, probably 15 at this point, Jesus, time's marched on, I started, you know, coming to the other side, and like, like five, six years ago, I started getting really interested in exploring something I haven't really learned much about my whole life growing up as an American, which is like, you know, socialism, communism, how those society, you know, what's the propaganda versus what is, and this seems feel like a common uh, Western can critique of central planning that you've got the central services. It sounds like a great idea, right? <laughs> um, you know, who wants to go out and shop for a heating and air conditioning guy, right? If you call one number nationwide and you know that someone's been certified by some kind of national institute and they know what they're doing, like we do and with the police, like emergency numbers, yeah, right? fire got, department, three hundred. Yeah. Yeah, we got 360 million people in this country. Uh, we know this climate's predictable. We know how many people have houses. We know how many new houses are being built. We know how old things are. Like, it seems like you could get an algorithm in place that could allocate the appropriate number of services and the perfect number of prices. And you should all, you know, uh, it, it, it's a lot, a lot more efficient, right? If it's mm-hmm. efficient, it's cheaper. It's more fair. In practice, these things never work because you couldn't get the, the paperwork wasn't efficient enough. You know, you're literally schlepping paperwork in the fifties and sixties. Computers were very slow. Uh, it's, it's, it's liable to get the, for fraud. The people can game the system. People can lie and cheat. Uh, when those problems start having breakdown, like you have a heat wave, no one anticipated. Then you got a gray and black market for like, God, like guys like Bob De Niro to come by and fix your air conditioner on the sly. There's a ton there's a ton of problems, right? And the capitalist side of that says, like, okay, you might have to call a bunch of bozos, and like, fifteen percent are going to be shite, going to be uh, predatory sharks, and the top fifteen percent are going to be the the fair people that you want to call, and they're good. And then there's going to be a bunch of just mediocre shit in the middle. But like, if there's ever a crisis, you know, there's be a, there'll be enough to come the demand, and if there's not, the prices will soar, and people, like, I went on in on that action, and you know, it's not perfect, but it's kind of like self-guiding does that kind of like does that kind of like identify the the strengths and weaknesses as you see both systems or if i'm, I'm missing anything no, no i think that's roughly accurate yeah do you do you think that like the central services is a bad idea like do you think there's ever like because i still come back to like a lot of that and a lot of things in life and like in terms of healthcare, right there's this, something that like i can guarantee everyone that pops out of a, a mother's womb is going to require medical services at one point in their life. Mm-hmm. So what is the point of having like a robust market to kind of like, you know, this is something we all need. It's, it seems like you just throw all your money together, you pool all your risk, boom. You, everyone's on. What's, but, but like, what if we did that? What if there was a central services that you could call for your, like, what if we got good enough at information processing and artificial intelligence and supply line chain, blah, 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 that that would be a good idea. 
Yeah, it's tough with stuff that it requires trained, um, let's say, technicians for like heating and cooling, right? Because um, can the market actually respond in real time to surges? Or do you need, oops, we got a surge and there's a heat wave and suddenly we need 30% more technicians. Well, we don't have trained people, you know, because we're running as a capitalist uh, entity here. We're running this as efficiently as we can to squeeze right. every last dollar out of the uh, profit out of the thing. That's the, that's the theory. That's the pressure that's supposed to work to do it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so now you have suddenly a shortage of people who are trained for the job. So you can't just go out and hire those people, right? You would, you would think the market would just say, okay, well, there's more demand for this and therefore we spend more on more technicians and we charge more and it all sorts itself out. But if there's a heat wave that's killing people and you don't have the technicians to deal with it, capitalism doesn't really solve that problem yeah and it's like that's the thing that's like because i that that's the the thing is like if a, if it's a central services and a heat wave happened it's the government's fault right uh because people are dying if a heat wave happens in a capitalist society and people are dying it's just well it's a market failure and we just feel like that that's an okay thing yeah and but it'll it sort like itself have, out eventually yeah and again it's like i'm not i'm not arguing for centralized services right now it just feels like that mm-hmm if you had better control of the information and a larger pool, because, like, let's say if we ever, you know, we, we go to, like, the Expanse or the Federation days and all of Earth is united under one government, if you had, like, 10 billion people, the odds that there'd be a heat wave in one part of the planet you wouldn't have enough spare capacity around the other that you couldn't just schlep people around and get things done seems harder to believe than you'd have continually market failures. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it feels like it yeah, yeah. with enough... Technolo- technology and thought and and uh, social technology that will eventually outgrow those problems, and I worry that sometime we'll have like just a philosophical. Well, we just won't do it that mm-hmm. way because it's not the, you know. I feel it, like we're it, already there with healthcare. It's like philosophically, we the, here the are opposed to it, of, even though it's I'm been just, proven that it works far more efficiently uh, yeah, for most like, people. I don't want to pay for other sick people, but you are the sick people. Right, you will be sick. Everybody will at be. some point. Everyone will. Yeah. So like, the chill. You'll get your time in line. Yeah. And if not, if you if you're if you're one person go cradle to grave and die a peaceful death and, and you don't need it, congratulations. You just won life's lottery and you want to bitch about. So <laughs> right about I, the I few dollars you paid in. Sure. That there's so many people that are just like ideologically has to be this one way or there's got to be winners or losers. That if we eliminate all the technological and social barriers to progress, that we still won't take it. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think that is a big problem, yeah, that we have to overcome. And that's part of, you know, Terry Gilliam's message is a lot of this is just people going along with a system that is dysfunctional yeah. simply because that's the system. Yeah. Like, I don't think Jack problems. Jack likes, you know, torturing his friend. I think that's just what he's expected to do, and so yeah. he does it. The, long th- the other thing I don't feel like people talk about a lot with these, like, any time that you essentially go for socialize something, is that that's like an implicit of like, well, we're going to go instead of going for like raw efficiency and innovation, we're going to go for like fairness and access to something. Mm-hmm. And I do like what 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 if you do that and it prevents you from doing something better? For, for example, let's say you get social, you get you get central services and you train all these HVAC guys. Um what if we hadn't done that and like 50, if we kept on doing the capitalist way in 50 years, we'd invent some crazy new air conditioning that's like super efficient, that doesn't use energy, blah, 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 that we wouldn't have got. Like, mm-hmm. how do you throw the switch from raw animal 
capitalism to like, you know what, we've advanced enough and now we can just kind of like go on idle and like make sure everyone's taken care of. What are the trade-offs about? And I feel like that's like, once you get past everyone's kind of like ideological independence, it's just kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because that's one of the features of a capitalist society is like you can't stop someone from with money to go off and do something crazy like right build a rocket to mars or a hyperloop in las vegas or what i mean for better or worse right sometimes that leads to something crazy sometimes it leads to something amazing and if you're trying to maximize everyone's access so that's taking away from the r and I, I don't know. Like, sure. Could you have a centralized research and development that's just somehow incentivized to continue to innovate? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like now I'm inventing capitalism with extra steps. It's <laughs> that that's the kind of shit I think about when I'm ever whenever I'm consuming material like this. Is like, what of this is bad objectively, and what of it is bad because of where we're at in the course of human history? Um, yeah. Because I think it would be dope to have central services that actually work. Sure. Oh, I, th I think everyone thinks it would be dope to have central services that actually works. But the actually works is the sticker for most people, right? They think that stuff doesn't work. And in some cases, they're right. Um, right. It can be dysfunctional. It can be less efficient in certain ways. But it's also more under the control of of the people, right? It's It's hard... Of course, we can't tell Elon Musk not to shoot himself off in a rocket to Mars, but we probably could tell, uh, we probably could elect a president who wouldn't allow Elon Musk to shoot himself in a rocket to Mars if we wanted to. So, if we wanted to, we thought that was best for everybody to keep him from right. off the Martian, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's, uh, to bring it back to a conversation we had at the beginning, is like, it seems like a lot of this, um, you know, kind of Cold War era looking at the socialist communist stuff is kind of like oh my god what if the worst areas of our bureaucracy like the irs and the uh B bureau of motor vehicles became our entire life and yeah. i think it's interesting yeah. that in 2022 the dmv slash bmv is not a big hassle in my life right I this can't is the, the last thing. time I, yeah. I i can't remember the last time i went into a dmv bmv and had to wait longer than five minutes and most of the time i don't even have to go in because of the advances in automation and information gathering. Yeah, no, I, I but, did this. I just renewed my, my license um, right. uh, two months ago, and I, I found the process extraordinarily painless. Um, I, right. I went in, I, I, I went online on my phone, and I said, hey, I'm coming in in 15 minutes. And then I drove there. It took 10 minutes to get there. I waited for probably two minutes, and I, punched, I said, hey, I'm here on their kiosk. I walked up to the desk. I was the next number called, and I got my license. I got a picture taken, and boom, it, they had it for me. Even stuff like out-of-state title transfers, which I thought would be a nightmare. Like, oh, my God, they're going to have to call a cop out and verify VIN numbers. <laughs> and all. It was, like, huh. painless. And that's yeah. one of those things where I don't think sometimes we sit and, and think back and, like, the canonical thing of bureaucratic inefficiency has now become a model of efficiency. And it's all not because their mission changed or they're doing less. In fact, they're doing more and more all the time. It's just because we've got better systems that schlep around the information and the money and all yeah. this, like, so, on the other hand, IRS still a nightmare. <laughs> sure. Partially because of the way we implement it, but, yeah. Right, right, could, right. right. Could be a hell of a lot simpler. Stuff. But yeah, yeah, and there's a you know like that there's a lot of many people on the globe 
uh, would think you're crazy if you told them that you have to fill out a form to tell the government how much money that you have to pay them when they know that. You and if you don't pay. get it right, you're going to pay more American, for fines. The, the, the average American pays somewhere between 50 and several hundred dollars. I mean, we probably spend $1,000 just on tax return stuff. Between you, and, oh, yeah. uh, our family's personal returns and our corporate returns, easy. Probably mm-hmm. closer to 1500 Uh, Why? Why? All this money is tracked, and we've got 1099s and W9s mm-hmm. and W2s for everything. Why? Why? Unless you are the cash business selling shit at a flea market, why? Why do we have to do this? I don't right. know. We could we could have more efficiency. I guess that's how I want to end the podcast is like instead of like reflect because like, so some of the stuff it's interesting to examine some of this old cold cold where I, I guess I'd call this it's not exactly propaganda but it's a it's a it's a glimpse in time of how we thought about things and what's changed and what hasn't and and can we I don't know keep our mind open for things in the future uh, and, and maybe we can talk you know, just briefly before we leave about Terry Gilliam's particular view of like the, 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 of how life should be. Um, his idea of like retiring to a, a cottage on an, on a beautiful open, uh, open Valley in England somewhere and, uh, raising farm animals and, and just living off the land. Right. Cause that too feels like its own sort of fantasy. Like, yes, that is possible for a microscopic number of people uh, who are very, very fortunate within this system or within any system I can even imagine because the numbers are such that it just doesn't work out. If everybody were to do that, we wouldn't have the land available. Um, You wouldn't... Like, is he saying he wants to get away from all possible... uh, society because because that's what that is right that vision is him outside of every system just living off the land in a perfect utopian life and i feel like that's the man this keeps coming up because i I can't remember what podcast we touched on this a couple weeks ago that like i do i do wish there was a place that people could go for the you know i you know countryside uh subsistence farming Sure. Break your leg. You better set it yourself. You're going to die. I wish there was a place for those people to go Mm -hmm. uh, just so that, you know, we'd have that pressure, like kind of like the Matrix, you know, (laughs) I kind of want to I kind of want to join a more Matrixy experience at the at the at the cost of maybe personal freedom and and all that kind of stuff. Have more people be able to to live comfortable lives than. But there's not. So like we have to. And the, the unfortunate thing about these these rugged self relier people is the second they break their fucking leg they will go to a hospital and consume the resources that they don't think anyone else needs. right uh, that's that's the thing we so, do need each like, other they always get the best capacity. of all worlds you know sure. and everyone else gets and, and the people that can't get the worst of all yeah yeah and they tend to think less of those people for wanting something better it's it's yeah we we all need each other and i i don't think escaping to the together, countryside Jim. is an is yeah, is a viable future um, or a viable that's a rejection. life rejection. I guess that's the thing. That that's a re- that, that the we're all in this together is a rejection of or or the 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 wanting to go in the countryside and live on a hundred acre estate, not see anybody, is a rejection of this all in together. And yeah, you can't because at some level we literally are all in the same earth. Uh huh. And we should all have some kind of say about what we do with the air and the sea and the land, right? For uh, sure. So like it's it's a fiction. 
like you know uh the the person that's alone uh, uh, an island unto themselves is just something that doesn't exist in, in modern society and to get it back i don't know we'd have to go back to a million people on this planet hunting and gathering right. so right uh it doesn't seem like it's possible to go go back that way the return to monkey yeah it's a tough route to travel should have never came out of those trees jim mm-hmm. we had a good yeah every <laughs> once in a while lion would pick us off but <laughs> We didn't have to watch Harry Gillum's Brazil when we didn't want to. True. Very true. Anything else we want to say about Brazil? No. I don't I don't think it's a bad movie, but I, I yeah, I was not in the mood for it and I've seen better Terry Gilliam movies, so we we uh we, it's a, it's a weird podcast for a weird movie. What what mm-hmm. can you say? Uh thanks for all right, thank you for joining us for Brazil, this prestige podcast this week. Uh, there will be some form of, I, I, I don't know what, but I can guarantee there will be a, another prestige film or television in your feed next week. I uh, hope to see you there. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.